Hello, we're the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Welcome. With me, Gareth Hammond, this week, are Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam Kennedy. Yeah, Johnny had a go up earlier for always doing the same intro. So here we are, something a little bit different for the listeners to chew on. No, I prefer, the, I prefer the original one. No, I like that one. I didn't have a go at you for never changing the intro. I had a go at you for asking what you were going to say. <laughs> the intro when you say the same thing every week. But fair. I pure hated that. Go back to, go back to you, the original. Did you not like that? No. From next week, I want to back to the. Well, I, I liked it. it. Look, tell us on the new Ulster Rugby Roundup Twitter hashtag you are roundup. I think isn't that right? No, at you are roundup. Oh yeah, <laughs> what did I say? Hashtag. <laughs> hashtag. I, I don't know these newfangled things. Um, let us know if you like my new intro. Uh, meanwhile, on with the rugby. We've got a win to dissect, and in some style it was too. We'll also look ahead to this week's game against Edinburgh on Friday night. We'll hear from Billy Burns, James Hume and Eliza Downey. So that, of course, gives you the little hint that we'll be taking a brief look at the A-team and the women's side. Of oh, course... Eliza would be a really strange team selection for the Edinburgh game. Really, <laughs> really strange, yeah. Um, we'll feed a few of your listener questions as well, but before that, we'll get straight into it then. Um, a good 15-13 win over Scarlet's good performance it was a really good performance for probably about 40 minutes from sort of the 10th minute to the 50th minute um, was really good really good style to their play um, in attack there was just so much ambition in what they were doing now, with that there was obviously errors there were turnovers but throughout the game there was 23 offloads which is just a completely different style because it was just the way the ambition felt like it spread through the team. It wasn't just a case of we're going to give it to Nick Williams and he's going to offload or we're going to give it to Stuart McCluskey and he's going to offload like it has been for the last couple of years where there's really, it feels like one guy trying to lead the charge in that regard. It was, mm-hmm. you know, you had Andy Warwick throwing offloads, Alan O'Connor throwing offloads, um, Addison couple of nice ones speed couple of nice ones so there will be the concern that it didn't lead ultimately to any tries but um it was a, very, a much more entertaining game than a 15-13 would maybe look on paper like I, I wouldn't be worried about the lack of tries because i think the scarlets were very cynical anytime ulster got into the red zone they were very quick to either go offside or shut something down at a at a ruck and concede the penalty. I think they were happy with just letting Ulster clip away at the scoreboard with penalties and accept that they weren't conceding five or seven pointers. So I wouldn't be too worried about the fact there were no tries. I think there was enough in Ulster's build-up. And as you say, it was a fun performance. It was, it was a very energetic, very enterprising performance. And I think there was enough in the build-up to suggest that there's at least something behind Ulster's attack play that was improved from what we saw last year and that there's potential that this could be a very exciting team to watch this year. Yeah, because in terms of the attack when they did try and go wide, um, there was obviously a real focus in weakening Scarlets um, through the middle, Mm. but they probably didn't bring enough... um, Probably wasn't enough of a competition at the breakdown so Scarlets were still able to fan out pretty well defensively, so there wasn't a huge amount of opportunities to go wide, even off those line breaks and half line breaks that you saw through the offloads. But when they did, um, a couple of times they were just unfortunate. And you had the one where McCluskey and Cave 
went down the right touchline and the offload just didn't stick. You had the Spate and Addison one mm-hmm. where the offload just didn't stick. And then there was the instance where they actually went wide very quickly with um, back-to-back miss passes and a Scarlet's player, I think it might have been Thompson, just got his arm up and blocked the passing lane at the last minute. So you had those opportunities, four tries, and then a few more sort of probing kicks through where you just didn't get the bounce. So it could have been an even better day from an attacking point of view, but... You just didn't... Scarlet's very good defensively. Obviously, you just didn't quite get the rewards that some of the endeavour, I thought, deserved. You wrote in your five Things We Learned piece this week about Dan McFarlane putting a stamp on the team. So what more did we learn about Dan McFarlane's teams and the way he wants them to play? Well, look, if his CV basically is... Now, (laughs) bear in mind that he's been the forwards coach rather than the head coach or the attack coach, but... He was part of the Connacht team under Pat Lamb that played some great rugby. Then he was at Glasgow with Gregor Townsend where they played great rugby. And he's spoken about basically how he can counterbalance Ulster having an undersized pack. By just being a mobile team, putting the pressure on in different ways. And what we saw was just so much freedom to try things and Billy Burns slots into that as well because he is a high-risk, high-reward player. But the whole team had that freedom to try things and some of them came off, some of them didn't come off. But like, I can't really remember Andy Warwick ever busting through and um, offloading the ball off the deck. Um, I might be doing him a disservice, but it doesn't stick out in my mind as something that we've seen an awful lot of before. So just that attitude, that freedom, that willingness to try things. Um, I think even if they hadn't won the game, it would have been an encouraging start to the style that they're going to play because just in the simplest of terms, it was fun to watch. And um, I suppose when you're looking at the other aspects of the game of what we're in, you know, Dan McFarland's stamp on things, I suppose, where... Like a lot of people have latched on to this fight for every inch mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. because it's something that um one of his coaching go tos obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you saw, I mean, you saw a good bit of that character. Obviously, Scarlets were missing a lot of players as well. But you know, you don't have Roy Bass, you don't have Jacob Stockdale, but you've got Adam McBurney coming in and making a big contribution later on. You've got Angus Kernahan, um, sub-academy player, looking brilliant when he came on on the back of a strong pre-season. In the 79th minute, you've got Ross Kane, a prop, busting through the middle with a line break and a wee bit of a fend to ultimately win the game. And just the on that passage of play that brought the penalty that won the game, I think it's important to acknowledge as well the influence that the 79 minutes that preceded it had on that decision making because if you're playing a team that is offloading the ball consistently then that sticks in your mind so then you have the situation where you pull back the support runner because you think that the offload's coming if you are playing a team that you don't think are ever going to offload the ball then the support runner is an awful lot less important mm. so it was almost while we say they didn't get a reward for the pressure that they were building, it was almost planting that um, 
seed of doubt in the Scarlet's mind that this was a team that was going to offload out of the tackle where you saw because that wasn't the only time the Scarlet's were pinged for tackling men mm-hmm. off the ball you know well let's be honest yeah, though and- David Bilbring was a little bit stupid there I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> is no, is no. it like Cooney wasn't breaking away from him? He was ahead of him, but he wasn't like streaking away from him or anything like that. So as soon as Cooney got the ball, Brilburn could have brought him down within seconds. So it's a little bit of a, uh, well, not a little bit of a mistake, but a rather big mistake on his part. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Scarlet's for a team that won the Fair Play Award the year before. Um, their discipline was abysmal <laughs> um, to get the two, the two yellow cards. Um, that in the end swung the game back in Ulster's favour and even like the penalty before that that Cooney knocked over where like Don Jones had just played the nine it was like some of the penalties that they gave away in front of the post were blatant Alright we'll throw in a wee bonus listener question at this stage this one's from Christopher O'Toole he asks who impressed you of the new signings and what about young Tom O'Toole he says he spent 19 minutes on the pitch Uh, I'll start with the new signings I thought Will Allison was excellent um, I thought he was always busy. He was always threatening with ball in hand. He had great vision from fullback, which I'd love to see him stay there. I'd love to see him try and make that fullback jersey his own as opposed to being jumped about between centre and wing and fullback and all over the place. I just thought every time he got the ball in hand, you could see something that could happen. He, I loved as we kick over the top for Kiev to gather quite early in the game. It was just being able to see that as opposed to just going through the hands or anything like that. Henry Spate was someone who took a long time to get into the game, but then once he did, he seemed to be everywhere and he seemed to be a real influencer on the game. He, he's so powerful with his carrying, just going round guys. Um, he he doesn't try to go over the top of them. He certainly picks the weak shoulder and he tries to go around them and, and sort of through them that way. Um, I thought he was really impressive, especially defensively. Um, Ulster were playing very narrow and I thought he was... He looked isolated at times, but he really managed to get his positioning right, and he he was able to step in very well there. Um, And Billy Burns, I don't think the service he was getting from Cooney was fantastic, but um, he takes the ball to the line. He's got a great pass on him. He's always looking for that wee break. Um, I think he's someone who will get a lot better uh, as the weeks go on. Um, So in terms of the new signings, I thought all of them stepped up pretty well. I want to talk about the young guys and Tom is going to be one of them. Um, Johnny mentioned them briefly but one of the things that I was absolutely delighted with was the coaching staff didn't give them five minute cameos at the end where you learn absolutely nothing about them. They got 25 minutes 25 minutes to impress and not one of them looked out of place. Adam McBurney's jackal for the penalty um, I think it was about the 74th minute when the Scarlets looked like they were trying to get the drop goals set up. That was fantastic. You know, that's something you expect to see from Rory Best and Rob Herring, not Adam McBurney, but he just stepped in and was in that position and did a fantastic job. And he he took over from John Andrew well at the set piece. The set piece was so solid the whole game. I thought he was really good. Eric O'Sullivan as well, some great carries, some great tackles, um, especially in the 22. I thought he was brilliant as well. And whenever we were talking uh, about the loose head position where nobody really has it nailed down, I'm not saying Eric O'Sullivan now jumps to the top of the packing order, but whenever you get a chance, you've got to make the most of it. And I certainly think he put his hand up and said, like, I don't look out of place at this level either. Um, and Angus Kernahan, I mean, we've 
we've said enough about him. He has quick feet. There was a great two-footed step he uh, he did towards the end of the game there, which I thought was really impressive. And that wee break whenever everybody wasn't quite settled, just being able to get around a guy, break a tackle, burst through, the awareness to give the offload to Gilroy as he came in the support line. I just thought those guys stepped in and didn't look out of place at all, which is the biggest compliment you can give to academy players. Because um, whenever they step in, you know, you're expecting them to have a bit of a learning curve. I thought those guys just fit in absolutely seamlessly, yeah. which is a massive credit to them. And then we've got Tom O'Toole, who unfortunately had to go off after 19 minutes. But I mean, <clears throat> whenever you consider, I think it was five tackles. Um, he had one big carry and he nearly got a turnover as well. And he was part of a very solid front row as well against an all international Scarlet's front row. Well, the scrum, I mean, the scrum penalty is the big thing. So it was yeah, he, he got it twelve minutes in, and that got Ulster off the board. But for yeah. someone who's scrummaging, has been seen as the uh, the sticking point behind. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's going to hold him back in terms of selection, and to be now out there winning scrum penalties. I know it's just one. We're not going to get carried away about that or anything, but. Um, <laughs> It's an encouraging, it's yeah. an encouraging sign. It's, it's a good sign that he's been working with Aaron Dundon over the summer yeah. on it, and as we're saying, if that can be brought on, suddenly you're looking at a guy who has a lot of good facets about his game in all areas. Mm-hmm. For a 19 year old at prop, that's a huge talent to have, and don't forget, it's against Rob Evans, you know, who is a Welsh international, a current Welsh international, mm-hmm. and he's won the scrum penalty against him, yeah. which is huge. I suppose that's, that's one of the things that makes this season so exciting for me anyway, isn't it? I mean, like, everybody wants to win trophies, but outside of that, one of the best things about being a sports fan is just seeing in any sport young guys coming through and progressing and how they're going to, what sort of players they're going to turn into. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, once you strip away sort of that expectation um, and just, I suppose, enjoy the game for what it is, um, yeah. you know, watching it for 80 minutes rather than the connotations or anything like that to it. And this is a team I think we're going to see an awful lot of young players, as Adam said, trying to put their hands up, trying to make mm-hmm. their marks, and, and playing from what from what you you said, hopefully a good brand of rugby as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. This this season isn't about seeing what this squad has; it's about seeing what this squad can become. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Yeah, the Ulster guys will be happy with us there. We've thrown in a few wee plugs as to why people should go and watch Ulster. Presumably, tickets still available. Ulster haven't told us to say that, by the way. We're just, we're just saying. Uh, the young guys then, he was mentioned a little bit earlier, Angus Kernahan, sub academy player. So I had sort of been questioning you guys on this a little bit earlier. So. Angus Kernahan is showing a lot of promise basically a couple of times now this season. He's not under contract, so somebody can come and nick him. So presumably we can expect that to be rectified, can't we? Well, what? Sorry, I'm, I'm sort of jumping the gun. Let's first, why isn't he contracted? I mean, if this guy is this good, why has he been overlooked? I suppose it's part of a larger sample size, size rather than the smaller sample size that we've had and um, from guys that have been watching him more regularly week in week out playing club rugby but the sub academy thing is I suppose people are wary of it naturally enough because you know there's guys that were highly touted playing schools rugby the likes of Reese O'Donnell who would have been in the sub academy and then you tend to see them 
drift away from the game but then you also see it the other way where guys can go from sub academy to um, being contributing factors like um, Matty Ray wasn't in the academy originally I don't think Ross Keane was in the academy originally or no it was mm-hmm. Ross Keane in the academy but then left and came back or what we're saying is there's many different ways into the senior squad. Yeah. yeah. So so can we expect him to get a contract basically? I would be surprised. I would be surprised if if he continued this vein of form. I think it's maybe a little bit early. He has impressed, yeah. like don't get me wrong, he's he's been very impressive. Um but three games is a very small sample size. Mm-hmm. So I think if he was to stay in the squad, if he's to continue to impress I think Ulster would be stupid not to give him something, um, bump him up to the academy or give him some kind of a development contract or something like that. Um, because if you lose a guy like that and he does turn out to be as good as what his potential looks like it could be, um, then you'll be kicking yourselves for a, a few years uh, to come. Well, another player then we'll have to discuss, Marcel. Couldn't see you. Couldn't see you. I don't, I'm just going to put Marcel from now on, I think, to save everybody embarrassment. But... Uh, his first competitive game then in what well, almost a year well was it over I don't know something around a year and just yeah, about a he year he did well didn't he uh, well so I put up a poll on the Twitter on Sunday asking who people thought the man of the match was and someone replied the medical staff for keeping Marcel <laughs> fit for the 55 minutes and I actually thought that was a good shout um, I them picking up the award at the end of that so <laughs> look it's great to see him back Obviously, he's going to be such a big part of Ulster's back row uh, this year. Whenever he's on the pitch, he adds that extra ball-carrying uh, dimension that you need to take a bit of the heat off uh, Ian Henderson whenever he's back, Jordy Murphy and Nick Timoney. So it, it's just fantastic to have him back. You got, As I said, you got to ease him back in, and I think they did that. They tried to keep the ball-carrying off him too much. He, he was still effective you know there were still a few great carries and he tried to get himself stuck in there still had 10 carries in the first yeah, half yeah he still had 10 carries in the first half um mm. which you know is massive for a guy who they're trying to ease back in mm-hmm. but look he's only going to get better and that's the, that's the great thing for Ulster you know whenever you're working your way back you're obviously not going to be at 100% so whenever he's got a few games under his belt he's fully match fit and he's round to go to play 80 minutes he's going to be a fearsome operator in that back row. Yeah, like I thought um, made a big difference because you can see that he's one of the players that just attracts extra attention from the opposition when he's carrying the ball. You see three people sort of try and engulf him almost in the tackle and that obviously creates space elsewhere. And when you have Stuart McCluskey, who, by the way, is the obvious example of success from the sub-academy that we should have realised. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man of the match at the weekend, we managed to overlook his path yeah, to the uh, senior yeah. team. So whenever um, whenever you have Stuart McCluskey doing the same thing, there was one um, great carry from McCluskey that probably seemed to bring in four or five Scarlet's mm-hmm. all into close quarters. Um, and you have guys doing that, and then we saw the instances of could see a carry followed by Henderson carry followed by McCluskey carrying a couple of occasions you can really see how that softens up the opposition defence so it is just a case of getting them all on the field at the same time you know we spoke about it enough but that's the first time Henderson and Kutsi have ever played together mm. and then you're looking at this week having Henderson Kutsi 
and Jordy Murphy on the pitch at the same time, and you've got Nick Timoney who can add a few carries as well. You know, suddenly Ulster have a lot of effective ball carriers in that uh, loose five. We're going to get carried away here soon and start saying <laughs> they're going to win the league or something. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> very <laughs> much keep your expectations in the uh, We're dangerously down. close to signing optimistic here. Let's rein ourselves in. I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable. Moving on to the Edinburgh game on Friday then. Another home game at Kingspan Stadium. And as Adam mentioned, uh, we just have the news uh, on Monday that Jordy Murphy and Rob Herring will both be available. And, well, they'll come into the starting lineup. you would imagine. What will the, what will the changes be, do we think? It's actually going to be pretty interesting to see how they do manage that back row. Um, if Murphy comes in from the start, because... Could see a Timoney Reedy as a unit worked pretty well. Reedy was probably the quietest out of the bunch, but still had a relatively strong game, I thought. Um just on Reedy, give him credit for that amazing pickup on the offload from Stuart McCloskey at the end there. Stuart McCloskey threw a pass down about his bootlaces and oh, Reedy yeah. managed to pick it up basically it's off enough. the floor. That was incredible. Yeah, like because that was so far away from where we were watching, I couldn't actually fathom what had happened. Because... <laughs> Even watching it back on from the, the camera footage, you have to watch it two or three times. Like, yeah, because it was like, that's surely a knock-on, and I couldn't understand why play hadn't stopped. But anyway, um, yeah, because it's interesting how you change that up. Like, who do you drop out? I feel like if Katsia would have dropped out, then there'd probably be an awful lot of panic and hand-wringing, but <laughs> it might not be the worst thing for him to get, like, half an hour off the bench this week bearing in mind that the game was only um, you know, there's six days between the games yeah. essentially it's mm-hmm. a short-ish turnaround yeah. so I don't think it would be like a case of the skies falling if we see uh, Timoney, Reedy and Jordy Murphy this week or maybe the other way around maybe um, Murphy gets a half and Katsia gets a half either mm. Either or, because the thing was, like, I do, I do feel like could see ran out of gas there, understandably. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of players were running out of gas towards the end there. Just first game of the season, I think. Yeah, but like I, th- it was, I think it was obviously noticeable with Katia. Oh, H- Henderson it had been months and months and months, and he played one hour of rugby in that uh, mm. first test, going back all the way to the start of April. If you discount that monster game where he got injured so early on. Mm. Um, and then, as you say, just the first game of the season because um, there was certainly a period for about 20 minutes where also were not particularly good. For, so the team then for the game, would you expect a lot of them than the, well, not enforced changes, but those expected changes to be fairly kept fairly similar? <laughs> There's a lot to factor in because, as we say, you've got the short turnaround. It's the start of the season. You've got two big players coming back in, and then the other thing is you've got this trip to South Africa coming up directly after. So you're probably going to bring about thirty-two-ish, thirty-three players to South Africa to get you through the two weeks, yeah. and the squad that travels there is going to be um, an interesting thing to keep an eye on as well. And that's before you then get into the Interpros and into Europe. So there's a lot of squad management. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see more changes um, than people might be expecting. And then we'll find out today, which it's not really just anyone listening to the podcast after today, but we'll find out today, presumably more on 
Will Addison, he looked like he had a shoulder issue. Uh, Tom O'Toole's con- um, concussion, the H- HIA. We would yeah. probably go through return to play protocols. Six day turnaround makes that sort of difficult. And Henry Spade was another one. He had his fingers strapped um, during the game there. So be an interesting selection, I think, yeah. You're giving away that we're recording this before the press conference game. I was going to just try and brush you over that this week. But there you are, you've, yeah, you've landed us in it. These uh, quarter, pa- quarter past four press conferences don't leave <laughs> much room for afterwards. Absolutely no use. So the game itself, I mean, should we be rightly confident after giving the, the first result? Uh, well, the first results, given that Edinburgh were beaten? I think you've got to rein in those expectations, as we were saying. You know, Ulster as good as they were in parts against the Scarlets it still wasn't perfect and there were a lot of things that you want to see them do better one of the things I'm worried about this week is Ulster played very narrow last week in defence and I mentioned that um, Duham van der Merwe for Edinburgh is a really fast guy he, he's got a lot of pace on the wing and I just worry if they manage to get it out to the wing quickly he's going to have too much pace for the narrow defence to catch up I, 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 think, I think that's a really interesting point because Ulster defensively their makeup was something different than what we've seen before as well certainly at the start of last season mm. they left no space in behind um, and I don't know whether that was um, out of respect for Reese Patchell's kicking game but and then the, I suppose the thought as well that Jonathan Davis was going to play as well like they dropped three men behind their defensive line almost all the time mm. so then you only had 12 men in your defensive line one area that I didn't think they were good enough in was slowing ball slowing Scarlet's ball up at the breakdown um, I don't think they got the resources of the Rocks particularly um bang on so then you weren't slowing Scarlet's ball you only had um, 12 men in your line then because you're dropping three all the time and then you put an awful lot of um, individual responsibility on each player the only reason that I'm talking about it is because I think we probably need to see more of it to know whether Ulster were narrow or whether they were just putting an awful lot of trust in individuals to make the right decisions because it was an awful lot of instances where we saw it looked like Scarlets were going to get to the outside, but then Spates would come up at the right time or Gilroy would come up at the right time um, out wide, out of that line where they jumped back to make sure there wasn't the space in behind and make the tackle at what looked like the last possible mm. second before it was going to be something truly dangerous. And it was just, it was an interesting way to watch Ulster play because it was sort of harem scarem stuff where it was like there was so much onus on getting those decisions right and then we saw it in the middle of the park as well especially with Cave um, who you can always rely upon to make a good defensive read but McCluskey came out of the line as well one time it didn't work was when Burns shot up out of the line mm. and Scarlett's got a line break through that but it just seemed like everything with the defence because they were so intent on cutting that space out behind, everything was so geared towards making the right decisions at the right times, knowing when to come up, when to force things. Um, it was just so, in such contrast to the way they started defending last season. But I think we probably need to see more of it before we can say that might be an issue of how narrow they are or it's 
the proof will be in the pudding ultimately mm. I mean the try that they did concede wasn't um, through that system because it came off the the line out which they did well to repel but then from where we were sitting you could see it really clearly where Reese Patchell dropped back and then whenever he sort of sprung into action and shot towards the short side nobody went with him mm. but then it wasn't even a case of he'd worked numbers or anything like it was essentially a two on two and he went between um, Cooney and Gilroy yeah. so defensively for me is something that I'm really keen to see how they approach um, the Edinburgh game for me all I want to see this week is a continuation of improvement I I don't think a result is essential obviously it would be better if they improved and got the result and obviously I, th- I think they should get the result but I, I think if we saw an improvement defensively and maybe you know a few more passes sticking and getting a few tries over the line um you know I, I think improvement is far more important than the result this week but then winning winning breeds success obviously so it's it's obviously important to get the win but I would sacrifice a win this week for some visible improvement in where this team is going. Well, look, it's, it's hard to say what you want or what you expect from a result because, frankly, I think we all expected big things from Edinburgh this year, but if Edinburgh play like they did on <laughs> Friday night, then Ulster should be very disappointed if they don't get a result because I watched, like I watched that game back on Saturday morning and I feel like I watched it so all of you out there didn't have to because it was muck. <laughs> It really, really was. You warned me it was muck, and I still went back and watched it, <laughs> and I was just as bored as you by the signs of things. Yeah, it was. It was not good. And one of the interesting things, I suppose, to look at if the way Ulster played on Saturday is Edinburgh. Unlike what Ulster were doing, leave a ton of space in behind, mm. and like Blair Kinghorn for all of his attacking talents hasn't quite always got the the best judge of balls over the top and we didn't see Ulster get any reward for their attempts um, for more delicate chips through but it's something that we saw that Addison and Burns are both willing to try so it would be interesting to see if that's something they implement a lot more given the sort of vast expanses that Edinburgh leave behind it's a good time for Ulster to get Edinburgh I feel like with all their new signings they're not quite mm. clicking yeah. early and you saw that in pre-season as well so it, it's a good it's a good chance for Ulster to maybe catch them a little cold, um, but we're starting to get into that uh, area where the the signings should be starting to gel a bit more. Um, yeah, like Henry Piergoss and Simon Hickey at halfback. Whenever you've got two new halfbacks trying to learn each other and how they play, it, it's very essential that yeah. uh, it happens quickly, and I don't think it has quite happened for them yet. An, an important game too, and I know it's so early in the season, but when you look at the standings come the end of the season, mm. I mean, every game against Edinburgh could well be, oh, yeah. be key, can well, well, I mean, let's be honest, the turning point really of last season was if Ulster had have beaten Edinburgh at home, they would have really been in charge of their own destiny in that running, but mm-hmm. because they lost to Edinburgh, then... That changed the whole complexion of the season from there on out. Mm. So this is make or break, really? This is basically, <laughs> if if Ulster don't win, then we may as well just write the season. Yeah, it's just, um, like, we might just wrap up the season with yeah. a podcast until next summer. I'll really. just go on a holiday to the World Cup. <laughs> um, 
Well, also talking about the Edinburgh game has been, uh, will be, Johnny's already given it away, uh, <laughs> Billy Burns at the press conference. So here's a little bit about what he had to say. We played them a few years ago, so they're a bit different now. Um, obviously, I've watched a bit of footage on them over, over the last couple of days, um, and, and we're expecting a massive test again. Um, probably offer something slightly different to what Scarlets do, um, but they're a very well-coached coached team with, with, obviously, Richard Cockrell there, and they've got some great players. So um, we know that we're going to have to be a lot better than what we were on, on Saturday just gone, uh, but we're massively excited to get back out there and, and hopefully uh, get a positive result. Does Scarlets and Ember defend differently? I mean, they're both known for being good defensively, but to defend in a different style? I think most teams defend pretty similar now. I think aggressive, line speed, strong, physical, and you've seen from, from Scarlet, I, I played pretty flat at the line and got hit down to the ground quite a few times, which is a sign of a team that, that really wants to get off the line and put pressure on you. So I'm sure it'll be the same this week. Um, obviously, there'll be different strengths and weaknesses that I probably won't tell you now because they'll probably watch this. But um, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a few areas that we feel that we can exploit them as I'm sure they'll have areas on us as well. So. Um, it's it's slightly different. Every every game's different because it's different personnel, and you've got uh, people who are good at different things. But uh, we, we're coming up. We've well, we've come up with a plan. The coaches have come up with a plan that all the players are fully behind. And um, if we can implement that on the weekend, we feel like it's a plan that will, will get us a good result. So while we stay on the the Pro Fourteen chat for now, then uh, there was a little bit of talk over the weekend uh, about two new teams joining up, Greekas and Greekas. Yes, Greekas. Could I just call them Marcel or something? <laughs> really handy. Uh, and Pumas, which thank you for uh, a handy name, uh, joining up. So what's the what's the sort of chat about that? Well, what this was, was uh, Sari President Mark Alexander gave an interview to Rugby365 where he said that uh, the Pumas and the Greekas are going to be joining the league and it's going to be announced uh, early 2019 for them to join next year. Um, I thought that was quite revealing for something that would be pretty big news. But um, the the problem with this is you've got to make sure that these two teams are going to be competitive. Um, and I know that I know they're going to be financially good for the league because they're going to bring in more money. And no, there's going to be the problem with this. Like there's only one. Okay. Well, yes. There's a. <laughs> One of the first problems. That's um, back to the Senegal Jonathan. I know. <laughs> like the, the thing is, you, you can't bring these teams in if they're going to be two more kings. If if they're just going to be two more teams that uh, the Irish provinces and the Welsh sides and Scottish teams are going to roll over every week, they it's going to be hard to justify bringing them into mm. the league. Financially, they'll be better because they'll bring in more money and I think the TV deal will get better if they come in. Yeah. So financially, that's good. But I, I don't see... The, the Pro 14's already criticised enough as it is because of diluted squads um, and all of that. If you're going to bring in two more teams that just aren't going to add anything competitive to the league... Uh, that's going to be a problem. And you look at their squads, you know, they've got no internationals between them. Um, they both compete in the Curry Cup right now as opposed to Super Rugby. So they're not even at that premier level that you'd want them to be at, like the Sharks or the Stormers. If they came and joined, uh, it would be a completely different story. So it's a bit underwhelming if you say, okay, here's two new South African franchises, but they're not two franchises that everyone would be aware of. Mm. Um, so I, I think before they bring them in, they've got to find a way to make sure that they're at least going to be competitive on mm. a week-to-week basis. They don't need to be suddenly competing for the playoffs or anything like that, but they have to be competitive mm. and not just be another Kings. But if you take those quotes at 
the, uh, that there were to it's fairly nailed on yeah the, um, if the interview is to be believed mm-hmm. it is nailed on the Pumas and the Greekers will be in the league next year mm. like I think we know that this is a league that wants to expand that's been well documented mm. we believe that the looking towards markets like the US has now taken a huge backseat mm-hmm. to this South African adventure which essentially fell into their laps but Kings were abject last year and um, they've got a bit more money about them this year but we have no reason to believe they're not going to be abject this year Cheetahs for me the biggest disappointment over the last 12 months in Pro 14 Rugby is how many good players Cheetahs have lost to other teams despite playing well and performing at a good level mm. um, so if that keeps happening that's unsustainable like Cheetahs came in and did exactly what the Pro 14 needed them to do last year which was one compete and two make the playoffs but we know how hard it is to play in Bloemfontein they weren't really able to add their way for them they've lost an awful lot of players and for me there's very little to choose between the third best team and really down in that conference down to Zebra so there's very little to choose between three and six in that conference I think mm-hmm. so you could feasibly have a situation where Cheetahs do fall away and end up not near the playoffs or not, not near the playoffs but the, looking at the league table you know they might finish sixth it's not outside the realm mm-hmm. of possibility that they do that and then you're bringing in more teams who are going to be less competitive, as Adam said, whenever this was mooted um, probably about eight to ten months ago, there was talk of the Sharks wanted in, the Lions wanted in. So to have two of your franchises that are by no means headliners, um, fresh to the scene, and then it's going to obviously add more travel because theoretically... Mm-hmm if you don't completely revamp the league structure, which you should do anyway for mm. reasons that we've talked about before, then you're going to have possibly two periods of travel to South Africa for some teams a year, two two-week periods in South Africa. Like we're in a situ- situation now where Ulster have 13 home games nailed on this year. You're going to have two of them in the first six days of the season. Like I was talking about it this morning, with somebody like after this game on Saturday, Ulster aren't at home again for a month. Yeah. So you factor in the fact that um, you could be in a position where Ulster aren't at home for a month, two different times throughout the season because they're spending that much time mm. in South Africa, and like I I know that um, they do it in Super Rugby, and you know you'll have Australasia tours and uh, mm-hmm. the New Zealand teams will talk about going to South Africa for a tour, and it, but there is obviously a danger with trying to copy a formula for a league that isn't working that's the whole reason why South African teams are looking at this mm-hmm. in the first place you know this to me yeah. this screams of expansion for expansion's sake mm-hmm. and what happened to the US stuff because that was like big talk this well, time last year yeah there's obviously been a few contractual disputes as well um, between the initial pro league that was set up and then the pro league that we have there now Um of who actually owned the rights to professional rugby in the US, which is obviously a um, strange thing for us to consider. 
because we don't really have the same sort of legal system around um, sports. But if you go through history and like antitrust trials and stuff that they have in America, it's all very litigious. Um, and there's still no proof that there's the appetite there either. Yeah. I mean, it, it we always see the um, stats that it's the fastest growing sport in North America and things like that. And there seemed to be, especially in Seattle, um, last year they were showing that there is the market, but it's not in the same um, way that we know it here, obviously, because you're talking about it being very, very low down the totem pole, even here when you're sharing attention with four different sports. You know? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to bear in mind that America, whenever you're playing games on Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights, you're competing with the NFL, which is going to absolutely dwarf rugby every single time in America. And then you've got to add in little periods where it overlaps with baseball, basketball, hockey. You've got to find a way to make it work without mm. clashing with those sports, which we don't have the same kind of problem with here. Yeah. Well, moving on from that, then we'll look a little bit about the... I don't know, what, what do we call them? Not the underage sides at Ulster? What do, what do we call them? The, the Ulster Academy? It was the, it was the Ulster yeah, but, we're, but it's the Ulster Academy and the A-team, so you can't call the A-team an underage team. Okay, especially when the Ulster Academy side featured Rodney IU. So, so yeah, so... When you, I looked when at you, that team sheet and thought Rodney IU must be a lot younger than I thought he was. <laughs> so, uh, the Ulster Academy beat Leinster Academy 2012 last weekend, and then this week coming up, Ulster A's play Leinster A in the Celtic Cup at 5 o'clock on Friday at Malone but people will not be able to see all that match if they want to go to the Ulster match as well senior match but when well, well you can't go to both games it's just us we can't because we have to be in position much earlier but if you, well, wa- if you want to go to the anyway. what no, the Ulster match at? I mean uh, the Ulster match is at 7.35 oh, so yeah, you, I was thinking you, you can definitely do it sorry guys you can do it you do what you want you might lose, we can't. The, you might lose the prime real estate on the press box and end up sitting down in the very back row or something. Oh, you wouldn't want that. Like, you may as well not be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, was there much of note to take then from the academy in that match last weekend? Um, Aaron Saxon, I suppose. Um, it's a great line in the post-match press conference the other day um, from Stuart McCluskey. If I was down at Bangor Grammar to uh, do a bit of coaching and saw Aaron Saxon on his way to class, so that's um, just another reminder of. <laughs> his age we saw him turn out for the senior team um, and then impress impress on Friday night a uh, big thing probably to flag for most people is we talk, I don't know whether we talked about this in the podcast we just talked about it um, before last week anyway Rodney IE coming on as a loose head um, scoring a try Peter Cooper as well he's somebody that we saw um, outside of the academy also playing loose head so there seems to be a real um drive to try and convert some of the apparent or supposed um, tight head surplus into loose heads which is probably an appreciation of the depth that they have in that position and what about the A game this weekend then that's the the start of the big Celtic Cup yeah starting the new Celtic Cup it's the competition that's replaced the British and Irish Cup and I think it runs for the next seven weeks uh, or something like that it's a good chance for some guys to you know, impress outside of the senior squad. If you're maybe not getting selected for the Pro 14, you'll get a chance to at least put your hand up at a lower level to start the year. Um, 
it's, it's obviously going to be tough because Leinster have so much depth in that squad and then their academy players are practically senior players already um, that good so it, it's going to be a good Leinster squad that'll come up um, but I think really what what you want to see mostly from this is similar to the British and Irish Cup you want to see guys um, happy to come down to this level and fight for their spot you know they're not going to come down and they're going to um, be disappointed that they're there and they're not going to give it their all they're going to say right well this is my chance to uh, show something and say that I'm not at the right level here so it's going to be a good chance for the likes of um, I think Sean Dizel's back this week so maybe he'll get a chance in the A game and he'll get a chance to show that he's fit and he's ready to contribute again um, but again you'll see a lot of the academy guys and you'll get a chance to see how they're going to uh, perform so I, I think it's it's going to be a very good game and certainly Lancer are going to give them a very good test as well so you're going to see them at a good level and no matter what happens half of each side will be playing for Ulster in a few years so <laughs> absolutely yeah. I jest <laughs> but, but <laughs> also at the press conference then looking ahead to that game was James Hume um, yeah look we've got a got an experienced team this week um, pushing pushing towards uh, Lancer on on Friday night, so um, yeah, hundred percent. I'm looking forward to it. This will be a first experience for me, and it'll be almost all I know for uh, for a games. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. We'll we'll treat it the same. We'll take. I, I quite enjoy the week after week, just straight in. You're focusing, and it's um, you're straight back into it. So no, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure it'll be there'll be no difference for the boys. Ulster women then are in the thick of their season, their uh, massive season. Um, obviously, right, right in the middle of it now. Yeah. <laughs> right in the middle, yeah, slap out in the middle. Obviously, it didn't really go to plan. The first game lost 17 0 to Leinster, but they have Munster coming up on Sunday at Portadown. So, um, did you hear much from their, their game? Well, they didn't. From the reports, they didn't actually play too badly, really, but um, I think the power of Leinster. Um, probably got the better of them in the end um, it was always a huge act to be going down there to start um, Ulster women's team at the minute is really trying to bring sort of pick from a wider playing pool so they're really trying to extend that out and uh, we've seen a growth in the club game here with where traditionally it was basically just Cook and and students who were coming from Queens you know I yeah. see Malone growing and then but it's all probably very much a long term project mm-hmm. and requires a bit of a bit of patience, I suppose, mm-hmm. not unlike what we're saying about the the senior team and the things obviously not gonna get any easier this week either with um playing the champions monster, so Yeah, well you really delved into the, the world of women's rugby last week. You had a good chat with Eliza Downey. Yeah, um it's one of those things that it can be quite difficult in terms of coverage because their season is so short and mm-hmm. like they just with having the three interposing and this year being in September as well rather than December like they usually are um, you're in a position where we said before you can almost blink and you miss it because they've only got one home game and um, it's easy to miss that so one of the things that we did talk about was just like how do you increase that exposure how do you um make it seem like the season stretches out beyond just this because with only having Cook in the All-Ireland League then 
again it can kind of get lost um, lost in the shuffle a wee bit mm-hmm. really so it's an interesting enough chat and like I mean Eliza Danny is one of these people that's so enthusiastic about her job it is as big a task as it is um, you feel like she's approaching it in the right way and mm-hmm. is approaching it in a way that she will and they will be able to get stuff done with it well here's a little bit of what Eliza had to say about how she thinks they can boost the profile of ladies rugby visibility is huge and like it's a word that I always use when I'm out with the clubs you know how do we let people know that we're playing what's available here at the clubs um, that there are role models there in mm. the female game because we're still a minority sport yeah. um, of course so we need to see what we can do or what measures we can put in place to let people or young girls know that this sport is available to them so yeah I mean when you speak about the visibility I suppose and looking at the senior team this might be part of the wanting to see things go at hundred an hour, but I mean the visibility of the senior team, especially you maybe only have one home game. Yeah. Um, a year. I mean, it, is there scope for maybe doing something like you know a double header and having the women's team play before the men's team yeah. on Friday night or something like that? Because, that that you know, would be you know I get excited even thinking about that because for me that would be the dream. Um, again, I'd like to start to see that visibility on on a stage that we have that exposure mm-hmm. to bring the female game in in front of faces that never even knew women were playing rugby or the level that they're playing yeah. at. Listener questions then. Yeah. Um, we have a few good ones this week. first one from Derry Gasman. He brings up uh, one of the big talking points of, of the week, really. Um, he asks, Premier Sports TV, are the, the star of the week, or... Should they be on the naughty step? And then he says, hashtag back to school, which I enjoy because start of September, people are going back to school. Love as we link there. We should have them on the podcast. Seems like a good <laughs> the Premier Sports are the star of the week. I thought their coverage was excellent. I mean, wall-to-wall coverage of all the games. Um, not a second missed. Uh, highlight show, replays of the games. Not really much more you could ask for, to be honest. And the coverage was brilliant. You know, there were... Um, I thought all the analysts worked well. I loved Trimby as an analyst. Uh, I thought he was really good, really insightful. Um, him and Sean Holly worked very well together just in what they were saying. Um, but no, I, I can't fault what they were doing. Um, I thought it was really good and it'll be interesting to see how the midweek show uh, continues to go as well. Interesting that uh, in your chat with Andrew Trimble last week, he was talking about how nervous he was going to be. Yeah, like, that's nice. <laughs> Uh, no, I thought he did very well. Um, you get that insight, especially because it's funny. Like I listened to an interview, I think it was off the ball. It was on with Tommy Bow, where you're talking about what can you bring when you've just retired compared to even two or three years down the line, and you could really see that with Andrew Trimble because he was picking out bits of the playbook essentially and saying that's what they were doing here that's what they were trying to do mm-hmm. here and you yeah. just get that fresh insight and in general like I thought Premier Sports coverage I watched a lot of rugby this weekend like probably mm. an unhealthy amount of rugby over the weekend <laughs> just because I could you um, can never have too much rugby it. It, <laughs> to be fair the house is really really clean after the weekend because Christina just battered about cleaning everything <laughs> while I was watching all this but um, to have the option to watch all the games was great uh, Adam mentioned the analysts and stuff and to have those sort of dueling perspectives as well um, you know where you had Sean Holly for the Ulster game and things like that I thought um, added something to it as well 
And just a, a little thing, but the sort of 20 minutes after the game, to interview both coaches, but also going to a bit of uh, analysis of yeah. what had happened is a big added bonus. Like, you get the freedom to do these things that you were never going to get um, with the BBC. There's obvious drawbacks to it as well, being behind the paywall, so on and so forth. Yeah. But to look at Premier Sports' coverage independently from the decision to take it behind a paywall, um, I thought the coverage was bang on. I don't think you could have asked for much more. And as Adam mentioned, I think the... Uh, the midweek show what they do with that for me is going to be really interesting to watch because last week was obviously just a preview really um, but to see what they do when they actually how much analysis they do of the different teams um, and what they've seen throughout the games on a Wednesday is going to be interesting it's a it's a strange one because it's like just going head to head with rugby tonight both Wednesday at 8 o'clock like um, in terms of scheduling and the top 14 highlights are on on a Wednesday you know the, it's a rugby heavy Wednesday evening. <laughs> you could have maybe done with being spread out a bit more throughout the week, but but there you go. Maybe Wednesday. That could yeah. be a, a cleaning night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ian Frizzell then we haven't had uh, any of his questions this season so far. I don't think. Um, but he asked Rodney Ayew, who we mentioned earlier. Um, he just wants to know has he got a future at Ulster? Well, he's got a contract which they didn't need to give him. So somebody obviously thinks he has a future. Um. Dan McFarland obviously will have worked with him at Connacht and somebody has seen something in him and apparently other um, tight heads that have been in the system at least to con- try and convert them into loose heads. Uh, we, we talked at length about the loose head position last week being one where there wasn't an obvious starter. Andy Work started the season and I think that's probably on merit. Um He's certainly been the most impressive loose head over the last sort of year and a half. But there is a feeling that that spot is one that is open. Yeah, fair. Another question then, as seems to be the the norm over the last few weeks, just regarding uh, Ulster Rugby's sort of communication with the media and with supporters. Stephen McCormick this week asks... Should we not be given a list of injured and unavailable players along with the team sheet that comes out the day before the game or whatever? Um, are Ulster Rugby more secretive than other clubs? And if so, why? Well, there's a lot to unpack here that we probably don't have time for because we have to actually go to this press conference. But <laughs> injury updates are becoming more and more infrequent and there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, I think it maybe first came to people's attention with Jimmy Heaslip and there was a really interesting article that I think it was Kane Tracy I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure it was Kane did in the Irish Indo with Jimmy Heaslip shortly after it was believed that he'd had his second back surgery mm-hmm. and there's a back and forth in the interview transcript that Basically, Jimmy Hazel asked about his second surgery and his response was, well, who said I had a second surgery? Have you not had a second surgery? I don't have to tell you that, basically. Um, mm-hmm. That's paraphrasing rather than his uh, words. But the idea that whether he had or hadn't had back surgery was his business, not the media's business, and by extension, Leinster fans and Ireland mm-hmm. fans' business. And he's well within his rights to think that... Um, Things concerning his health are his business, and you can see, like, because yeah. um, you could even say it last year with Jared Payne with Ulster, where there was the weekly: Is Jared Payne going to play again? <laughs> is he not going to play again? And in these 
times of GDPR and so on and so forth, it seems like there's a real um, move away from a belief that professional sportsmen should disclose their injuries or the nature of their injuries um, to the wider public. Again, Conor Murray at the minute, um, we know that he's injured, um, but Johan van Graan was asked about it on Saturday after the Cheetahs game and essentially said no comment. So there's supposition about what's wrong with him. There's guesswork at how long he's going to be out for, but there's no official word from Munster. And it's just something, part of this larger trend that we're seeing. But the flip side of this is that it really, really frustrates people because the one thing that fans want to know, it would seem, certainly if we're going off like the most read stories on our website, (laughs) it's not the... uh, 1200 word features that you pour your entire day into it's um, the four line stuff about who is and isn't going to play at the weekend and it's interesting how that balance is going to be struck in the future between information that fans I don't want to say think they're entitled to but definitely want to know and the fact that players don't particularly or some players don't particularly want this information to be in the public realm for a variety of reasons. Most coaches, like Warren Gatland aside, don't particularly want to reveal who he is and isn't going to play. Like Ulster were probably quite happy to leave it as long as possible last week for Scarlet to not know that Ian Henderson was going to play yeah. and come in and destroy and disrupt their line out all day. Um like you see, you know, Gatland will name his team on a Tuesday and just say, right, you can go out and beat that. Um, but most coaches, you get the feeling, would like to not name their team at all mm-hmm. um, 24 hours before, as is the custom. So, you know, there's that to factor in as well. But to move towards the point of are Ulster more or less secretive yeah. than other teams? Um, so. To use this week as the only example. So, Glasgow, Treviso, Zebra, Ospreys and Scarlets, with their team sheets issued to the media, gave a list of players that were unavailable. Leinster didn't, but had issued one earlier in the week, and the other eight teams didn't. So, looking at it and this idea that Ulster are more secretive than other teams is not necessarily true like I think we'll move towards something where much like what Leinster did last week of here are the players that are injured in brackets whether it's disclosed what's wrong with them um, and I think that will be it I, I don't th- I feel like players don't particularly like time frames being put on their injuries either because they mm-hmm. probably feel under pressure then to hit that mm-hmm. Um, it's can become almost a target more than a time frame as well and it's like it's complicated for, for a variety of reasons and it's interesting I think as a discussion but at the same time I still think fans first questions um, yeah every week are going to be who's playing and who's not when increasingly the team doesn't want them or mm. doesn't want other people to know and by extension they're not going to know yeah as you said earlier, Adam, it keeps the, the team announcements more exciting. Is there no mystery in team announcements <laughs> anymore? It seems not. And our final business for the week then is the club roundup with Adam. Yeah, so last week was the quarterfinals of the First Trust Senior Cup. 
Uh, City of Armagh, the defending champions, they're through to the semi-finals with a 50-14-point win over Bangor. Dungannon lost 18-22 at home to Ballymena. Malone defeated Belfast Harlequins 29-24. And Queen's University picked up a 19-7 win over Banbridge. This week's fixtures in the Sony Ulster Premiership in Division 1. Ballymena host Balna Hinch. Malone are on the road to City of Armagh. And it's a rematch of that Senior Cup tie between Queen's University and Banbridge. And in Division 2, Bangor host Belfast Harlequins. Dungannon are at home to Oma. And City of Derry make the trip to rainy old boys. Lovely. When does the All-Ireland League start? The same weekend as the Monster game. Oh, okay, that's a few weeks away yet then. That's whenever my interest in club rugby starts. It's going to be honest about that. So. It's a good job some of us are interested in it before then. <laughs> What's the game of the week this week? Game of the week, I'm really interested in Queens against Bambridge again. I just love that aspect of it's an exact rematch of last week's game. So it'll be interesting to see um, how it goes. I just, I just love the mentality of Bambridge are going for uh, revenge. And Queens are going just for exactly the same again. So it'll be interesting how the two teams approach it. Absolutely. No further business then for this week. That's uh, that's pretty much wrapped up. Jonathan, you look confused. But no, just, I was just making just sure. I haven't forgotten anything. <laughs> just, just making sure that we had no other business. I feel like there was. But well, we'll, look, we'll, if there we'll is, I can assure you people will let us know on <laughs> if we have let anything out. But... Um, if you do want to let us know anything on Twitter, I'm that for a segue, you can find us at your roundup at your roundup, not hashtag yes. hashtag useless. And uh, personally, you can find Jonathan Bradley at uh, J Bradley BT. Yeah, no idea. You nearly forgot your own Twitter account, didn't you? Yours is Ad McKendry. At Ad McKendry, yes. Mine's at Gareth Eleven. But as I said last week, I. Or a couple of weeks ago, I don't tweet about rugby at all. But some people did actually follow me on the back of this because if, they were all Ulster uh, fans. I think this is nice. If you want to also know about Glenavon and Ulster rugby, then Gareth's place to go. Yeah, well, just Irish just, in general. Yeah. yeah, and Liverpool. So, <laughs> but yeah, I feel I nearly feel like pressured to tweet about rugby now since they follow me. I think cheaper. I need to form some opinions quickly. I'm still uh, still pushing to get you to one of these games. So. Yeah, someday, one of these days. So. From John Bradley. Cheers, Thiggy. From Adam McKendry. Cheers. Cheers guys. Have a self-care, Thanks for listening.